kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, awesome. <laughs> that was funky. Thank you. Keeping it funky. Uh, I linked the video to my theme music in the chat. I'm really, really proud of that. Jay did an extraordinary job. Um, and it's kind of good that he did because SoundCloud is starting to rip down a lot of podcasts that have any sort of music on them. Um, I think that has to do with DRM and some of the copyright laws and possibly with the T- the TPP, um, but I'm not really sure. So, um, sh- should I start with the CASA update? <laughs> and Jeannie knows why I'm laughing about this, don't you, Jeannie? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Um, have you... Have you got everything set for that, Jeannie, so I can just go with it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait. No, stop. Okay. <laughs> That's why I asked. Wait, no, stop. <laughs> okay. Let me know when. Um, so, <laughs> so before we even do all this, everybody that's listening to this, if you're trapped in your car or whether you're listening in chat or whether you're listening on replay, I don't care. Um, the official producer is not here. So yeah. this episode is produced by me. So be prepared for shit to be fucked up. Just saying. Um, yeah, uh, it's not just that. Um, Julie Wessner. Uh, the president of CASA and Alex Clark, who is the legislative director, are both listening to Mitch Zeller talk today. So they are unavailable for the CASA update. And I figured, well, you know, I am a CASA board member, so I'd subject you to my update. Okay. Now I'm I'm actually ready now. Okay. Welcome to the CASA update for 4-5-2015. My name is Jan Johnson, 
and I'm a CASA board member, and welcome to the CASA update. Um, this update is probably going to be a little different than what you used to. Uh, there's no, there's not going to be a whole lot of fun banter with Alex. It's just me this evening, and I thought I would touch on some past calls to action and local alerts and tell you what's gone on with them and what's happened with them before I moved on to the other updates that are of some sort of interest to people who might be listening. Um, we released an update got, um, in, for Leesburg, Florida, and uh, not an update, a call to action. It was more of a local alert. Um, it didn't really ban flavors in electronic cigarettes, but it was a resolution to ban all sales of flavored tobacco. And the problem with that is when a municipality does something like this, that's the first step to taking and folding in electronic cigarettes as tobacco products. And it's also the first step in banning flavors. And we've kind of all had this discussion before that flavors are what makes electronic cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction work so well for so many people because they can customize it to their liking. And I don't know what happened, but the city of Leesburg, Florida, decided that they were going to not join the bunch of people that were opposing the sale of flavored tobacco products. They rejected a resolution calling for it to add its voice to the chorus of cities that oppose such sales. Um, the, the resolution was written by something called the Tobacco-Free Partnership, and it had been adopted in Clement, Unistis, Marcote, Mineola, Groveland, and unincorporated Lake County. But apparently Leesburg, Florida, decided not to adopt that. They only had one person who cast a vote in favor of the measure, and that was a priest who sat on the board who said, I support anything that curtails young people from smoking cigars or cigarettes. Um, the rest of the commission weren't swayed by that, and they voted four to one against the resolution. So that was a win for us. And I'm pretty proud of that. It was. And Jan, I have to tell you that I mm -hmm. have, um, usually about once a year in the DIY group, um, run a survey mm -hmm. asking people, are they tobacco vapors? Are they, you know, tobacco flavors? Or are they fruit flavors? Are they bakery flavors? And so on. Right. And I have to tell you that out of 6,000 people, mm -hmm. not that that seems like a lot, but for one little Facebook group, it is. That's, that's a lot, yeah. <laughs> um, out of 6,000 people, we end up with like a 97% of the people there are mm -hmm. using anything but tobacco flavors. And the biggest thing for them is it keeps things interesting, interesting for them and keeps them from craving that tobacco because, oh, wait, I can do a key lime. Oh, you know what? Well, cherry sounds good. You know, not that really cherry is because that's cherry always tastes impossible. like cough like syrup. <laughs> um, yeah, and but and that's what helps so many people. Mm -hmm. It does. Um, there were 
a lot of CASA updates for California, which were just mind-numbingly terrible. Um, we have not had the world's greatest luck in getting our local alerts to um, be powerful enough to overturn how they're actually sort of running things in California. And, and we all know that has a lot to do with a lot of the money that has been pumped in there, but I thought I would touch on a, a couple of them. Um, San Luis, San Luis Obispo, California had a local alert on 317. And so it passed, unfortunately. Um, but it drew tons of business owners and it drew tons of former smokers and health officials and they went in and spoke for and against it and yet it still passed unanimously um it's a public place ban and they're not the only municipality in california to ban them more than 40 California cities have already taken similar action. So you can do the right thing and you can show up and you can speak out. And that's no guarantee you'll win. But at least people were doing it. So kudos to the people of San Obispo and uh, San Luis Obispo. I'm really sorry. Uh, Denton, Texas, which they had a local alert for the city council was considering an ordinance to treat vaping like smoking. When we got that ordinance, we were under the impression that it was just an indoor use ban. It's not. It's not. (laughs) It's Um, not. They banned inside the businesses e-cigarettes and what they call personal vapor units. Um, And it's the first time the city of Denton addressed it in their code. They also folded that in under their banning sales to people under 18. Now, some businesses made specifically for smoking or vaping were exempt, like like vape shops, tobacco bars, and hookah lounges. But it's not just that. They're, They're also looking at banning vaping outdoors in Denton, Texas. So that's lovely. Dixon, California. Okay. Um, This was a local alert that we put forth some time ago. Um, That was also an indoor use ban. Um, And the council discussed regulating e-cigarettes just like tobacco, and they, they voted four to one to treat e-cigarettes like tobacco. Um, And the council decided to waive the second reading and they just ran with it. So there was one person there. His name is uh, Councilman Hickman, was the only voice of dissent. Um, Now, yeah, I think we're going to get into some of the... Yeah, uh, Prior Lake, Minnesota. What is wrong with Minnesota? I have no idea. Seriously. I mean, you know, isn't it's the land of 10,000 lakes or something, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what is wrong? <laughs> Do you really? I mean, they Minnesota was one of the first states to mm-hmm. tax e-cigarettes. liquid nicotine. Yeah. They well, did. they didn't tax e-cigarettes. They the went nick. after the nick. 
And Mm -hmm. I mean, and they, I think, are one of the first. Yeah. Um, And the the tax on nicotine there is like crazy. And now they're astronomically high. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, Prior Lake, Minnesota is kind of a win, though, which sounds scary Um, because you cannot smoke anywhere even in a cigar bar or a tobacco lounge in prior lake minnesota but if you're using an e-cigarette in any of those places it's fine um now they still allowed to um cigars to be sampled kind of but you're not allowed to if you read this further you're not allowed to use to sampling is just tasting and putting it out to them you're not allowed to smoke the whole thing which um, I don't know. I was never a cigar smoker. I don't know how great they are to do that with. But um, I, I guess that doesn't do a really, yeah, light it up, taste it, you're done. Um, the city council approved a handful of rule changes, including an ordinance that prohibits smoking lounges unless they're exclusively used for e-cigarettes. The council also approved an ordinance that requires all businesses selling tobacco and tobacco-related products to obtain a separate uh, separate license. Um, It does allow you to sample cigars in cigar stores, but the spirit of the law is that customers won't smoke the whole cigar in the store. Um, Smoking a cigar is legal in tobacco stores in Minnesota under the guise of sampling and in private lounges that don't sell tobacco. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Does that not seem kind of stupid to you? Yeah. You can at a lounge, but not one that sells the tobacco. So, you know, even the people that went there specifically to buy a tobacco product, we can't have smoke around them, even though they're going (laughs) to buy it. But you can go to a lounge that anybody might go to and it's okay there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Makes perfect um, sense, Jan. Oh, perfect makes sense. totally, totally perfect sense to me, too. Um, Livermore, California, we issued a local alert for an indoor use ban. Um, and the council met Monday, April 13th at 7 p.m. And they unanimously <laughs> voted to ban the use of cigarette uh, e-cigarettes indoors, but they also tacked onto that plan um, parking garages to the areas where smoking is prohibited. And by smoking, they mean smoking slash vaping. Um, she said um, it was Council Member Lorraine Turner who urged that the parking garages be included because she said that it's an enclosed area. And she says with fewer places people can smoke, the garage will get worse with people hanging around. And e-cigarettes were included in their definition of smoking. So, um, sorry about Livermore, California. Uh, Now we're getting up to more recent events and things we need to look at. Washington, D.C., we've talked about this before. Mayor Muriel 
Bowser has introduced the city's budget for 2016, and the proposal includes the Vapor Product Amendment of 2015, which would tax e-cigarette at the same rate as other tobacco products, which is 70% of wholesale. So, they are having a hearing Monday, May 8th, in Washington, D.C. at 10 a.m. at the Council Chamber Room uh, 500 at 1300 Pennsylvania Avenue. Okay. Now, if you want to testify, you have to call the committee of the whole office at 202-724-8196 to register as a witness. Do this as soon as possible and do it by no later than Wednesday, May 6th. You are allowed three minutes to speak, but your written testimony can be longer. The record remains open for only two days for submission of written testimony. Uh, Witnesses can submit a copy of their written testimony by Tuesday, May 7th, by sending it to Nidesha Smith, Secretary to the Council of the District of Columbia, Suite 5, Wilson Building, 1350 Pennsylvania Ave, Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2004. Now, I think you, you said Tuesday and you meant Thursday. Well, I probably did. Okay. There's there's a lot of stuff here. But then my I'm, ears might be backwards, too, so that's all right. Uh, the Thursday, May 7th. Sorry. Um, right. You see how big the print is on that. No, it's <laughs> tiny. It, it's very Yeah, small. there was a lot of sarcasm in that because that print is tiny. I cannot see that. I can barely see it. I think it's like at a three for font, and I can barely see that. Um, the other thing is if you're going to submit written testimony and you don't submit it beforehand and you want it on the record, when you go to testify, you have to bring 15 copies of your written testimony with you unless you submit your testimony by Thursday, May 7th. Okay? Um, so... It, you need to tell them how you feel about 70% of wholesale tax on your e-liquid products. Now, um, rebroadcasting something from Hoosier Vapors, which is House Bill 1432, um, which is pretty freaking terrible. Um, they're the only municipality I've seen that wants to place restrictions on out-of-state manufacturers. Um, It it tries to, the bill, 1432, tries to assert authority over an out-of-state manufacturer's production process, facility design, security measures, and personnel. And that's not done to any other industry. So what Hoosier Vapors is asking people to do is to call the governor and email him and ask him to veto HB 1432. The governor's phone number is 317-232-4567. His email is www.ingov slash gov slash 2752.htm. I'm not making this up. Um, the governor's name is Governor Mike Pence. His Twitter handle is at Governor Pence, Indiana. So, um, just rebroadcasting that. Um, and so this happened. I don't know if you know how big Orange City, Florida is, but it's like the smallest little place in Florida that I've ever seen. And 
Matt Williams. You know who Matt Williams is, right? Yep. Okay. Matt Williams has been pretty good about getting Florida stuff to me because we have no way of knowing what this local stuff is like. And I'm reading tons of stories every day trying to find stuff and keep up with stuff. And there's only so many hours in the day and it's very hard for all of us to keep up with this stuff. We only know about local stuff when you tell us. Okay. So he mentioned Orange City, Florida to me and we rushed out a local alert and it was on ordinance 526 and so many people showed up that the city council decided they won't even go to a second reading. They tabled it and they're done. So it was killed on 428. So that's a win. Good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Vermont's call to action has been updated. Uh, SB 139 is barely passed the House with the addition of Representative Jewett's amendment that would tax e-cigarettes at 46%, as well as add vaping to the state's indoor anti-smoking law. And the bill is moving back to the Senate. Okay. So if you go to um, kasad.org and look on the blog, there's a call to action for Vermont, and it's going in the chat right now. So if you could email them and ask them to kill, well, reject the changes made in the House, that would be great. Rhode Island, SB 463, this this is a call to action we released yesterday, would deceptively redefine tobacco to include electronic nicotine delivery systems, or ENDS, by altering this definition in Chapter 44 of the state's general laws. SB 463 would be subjecting vapor products to the state's 80% wholesale tax on tobacco products. Now, SB 463 is scheduled for a hearing, um, was scheduled for a hearing on Tuesday, yeah, well, it's scheduled uh, for a hearing tomorrow. So, um, if you can get to, oh, good Lord, now I got to go look it up. Now I feel like a jerk. What? Because <laughs> I, as much information as I put in here, I didn't put where the meeting was going to be. <laughs> I'm trying to remember everything. Alex is so much better at this than I am. Um, well, Alex isn't here, so Alex probably really glad that you're doing that. <laughs> probably. And I'm um, sure Alex is listening to Mitch Zeller, and he's probably waiting for his brain to leak out of his ears. Um, let's hope that's going better than what we think. Yeah. Um, so if you could take a moment and send an email to... your senator and urge them to oppose that bill for Rhode Island, that would be great. So, yeah, it's scheduled for a hearing tomorrow. So, I don't even know if you can go and speak up. I was hoping there would be more information, but there really isn't. 
So, again, if you live in Rhode Island, please send a message to your senator and urge him to strike the redefinition of tobacco from SB 463. Texas, SB 97, okay, uh, SB 97 and HB 170, neither one of them have been favorably amended to protect online sales to adults between the ages of 18 to 21. In fact, the bills are now identical and moving towards votes in their respective houses. Um, there is no saving this bill. Both of them, please, need to be rejected. So if you could send a message to your representatives in Texas and urge them to reject this, that would be awesome. Okay? Those are likely to be voted on tomorrow. So if you could please do that this evening, that would be great. Um, yeah, now back to my spreadsheet from hell. Um, <laughs> this is a spreadsheet from hell. This, you see it, don't you? <laughs> this is what Alex's horrible list looks like, only it's much smaller. I, I don't know how either one of you are still sane, but that's okay. <laughs> We're not anymore, really. Um, Delaware, okay. Um, oppose HB5, which prohibits vaping where smoking is currently banned. Um, if you could send an email to your representatives, that would be awesome. If you send an email, please, um, you could say that you're in favor of an exemption for use in retail vapor stores and that you support Amendment H1, but it's probably better to just ask that that bill be rejected in its entirety. Uh, can I give Kasa some feedback on roll call? Sure. Send an email to um, jjohnson at kasa.org and I will forward your concerns on to the rest of the board. Montgomery County, Maryland. Bill 1515 would establish a 30% wholesale tax on electronic cigarettes sold in Montgomery County. Moreover, the the county council will be granted the authority to raise the tax rate each year simply by passing a resolution. And that hearing is... May 5th at 7.30 p.m. at the Council Hearing Room in 100 Maryland Avenue, Rockville, Maryland. And I've been hearing some general griping from people in Florida over the text of HB 827, which would deceptively (laughs) define electronic cigarettes as drug delivery devices. And we don't want that. We really don't not want at all. that. We, we do not want that. No. But I'm here to tell you, the last action was 3-3-2015, and it stuck in committee council. May 1st, 2015, is the last day of the session for Florida Senate. 
As far as I can tell, the bill is dead. If there isn't, I will update you on it next time. So, um, please join us at org so we can help you stop government overreach and overregulation into the things that you do to reduce your harm from tobacco products. Um, like I said, join us at org. Joining the Facebook group is great. Joining the official Facebook page is awesome, but it's not a substitute for joining and adding to our numbers so that when the time comes, we can talk about how many people we represent. That is very Numbers are very important when you're speaking to legislators. They're far more important than you think. So we need you to help us help you. Um, As always, remember to, if you haven't already, submit your your testimonials to the testimonial project. Um, We are CASA Media on Twitter. We are CASA Media on Twitter. Google Plus, we are Casa Media on Instagram. We're just plain, you know, Casa.org or the We Are Casa group on Facebook. We're also Casa Media on Twitter. So come follow us, come join us, and let us help you. Thanks for listening and have a good night. That felt like it went on forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that, guys. It's usually much more entertaining when it's not just me. Um, I'm not very helpful today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's, uh, um, okay. So that's done. Thank you. Thank you, God. (laughs) Um, Let's see. What do I want to start with? I can't even tell. Um, do we want to talk about the USA Freedom Act? <laughs> it's really sad. Um, NSA restraining U.S. law edges closer to reality, leaves just $6.81 billion under mass surveillance. May 1st. <laughs> just a couple people. Just a few people. It's it's a lot less. It's just 6.81 billion people <laughs> that will still be spied upon by the government if the USA Freedom Act were to pass today. A bill, a law, to mildly curb the NSA's blanket surveillance of innocent Americans has taken an important step towards being passed. On Thursday, the U.S. House of Representatives Justice Committee voted 25 to 2 in favor of a revised version of the USA Freedom Act. The original was killed last year in the Senate. Now it's looking as though an unholy alliance between the White House, the Tea Party, and disaffected congressional moderates may force the bill to be passed. The strong bipartisan vote in the House Judiciary Committee to approve the USA Freedom Act demonstrates that surveillance reform is not a partisan issue. It's an American issue, said the bill's authors, Representative Jim Sensbrenner and Bob Goodlatte and John Coiners. 
in the USA Freedom Act reforms our nation's intelligence gathering programs, yeah, right, to ensure they operate in a manner that reflects the core American values. We urge both the House and Senate to move expeditiously on this legislation so that we can rein in government overreach sorry, and rebuild trust with the American people. Sensenbrenner knows a thing or six about this. He was one of the authors of the Patriot Act that enabled much of today's surveillance operations and developed the original USA Freedom Act to fix the earlier legislation. The revised version is largely similar but with a few key changes. The legislation under consideration would renew Section 215 of the Patriot Act, but amend it so that bulk data collection, like the slurping of all cell phone call logs, would be banned. The intelligence services would have to ask telecos for specific data about an individual or a specific device if there is a reasonable, articulable suspicion of wrongdoing. The workings of the secret FISA Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court would also be reformed by tapping an independent expert to advise the government on civil liberties and technology issues. They should hire Edward Snowden. The court would also be required to declassify details on its significant rulings, except where national security is involved. Yeah, but they claim national security on everything. I know. It gets better. Those were the good parts. These are the downsides. There are some kickers, however. The bill introduces new laws to allow the Attorney General to nominate specific individuals entering the U.S. for targeted intensive surveillance subject to court oversight within 72 hours and raises the mandatory minimum sentencing for proving material su- providing material support to terrorism for from 15 to 20 years. Okay, hold uh, on, Jen. What? D- don't you like how they say nominate like it's a good thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We, we, you just came in the country. I like your lovely. I hat. like you. I'm gonna nominate your stupid <laughs> ass. <laughs> I'm nominating you for extra surveillance. You just, we just like you. Like, but that. I said nominate, so it's a good thing. <laughs> oh, there is no mention of reining in surveillance by other government agencies. The DEA has been running its own bulk surveillance program since before the Twin Towers fell in 2001. And there's nothing in the U.S. Freedom Act to stop this, although lawsuits might. Uh, The bill does nothing to rein in Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act, which provided legal cover for the NSA's PRISM program, the program that allows spies to pull information about foreigners out of the data centers of Google, Facebook, Yahoo, and others. There's also nothing in the bill about the rights of non-Americans to privacy. So if you're not a citizen in the land of the free, then tough shit. U.S. intelligence can do what it likes with your data. Well, you know, they do that to us anyway, so I don't want to hear non-nationals bitching about it because they well, fuck us too. Here, here's the thing. We're actually treated pretty well. We're actually, the way we're treated is kind of like a privilege compared to how everybody's data around the world is treated everywhere else. Um, the bill, <laughs> The bill is far from ideal. Kind of an understatement. (laughs) Yeah, but it does shift the status quo towards more privacy and substantially limits the scope of collection by the government for tangible things under three different laws. And it offers small but real institutional (laughs) reform to the FISA court that only Congress can create, said the Electronic Frontier Foundation in a statement. Uh, Yeah, we've been 
clear that we must end mass surveillance under all surveillance authorities. We're disappointed that this bill does not do more towards that end, but the new USA Freedom Act serves as a welcome first step and should be seen as such. The bill will now move to the House of Representatives for a vote, and similar legislation will be introduced to the Senate shortly. So far, it looks like there are enough anti-government Republicans and members of Democrats to get it through the lower chamber without a problem. The Senate might be a different matter. The U.S. Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, has introduced his own bill that simply reauthorizes the Patriot Act as it stands. But that's looking unpopular with members of his own party who have a more libertarian bent. Presidential hopefuls Senator Rand Paul and Ted Cruz have both said that they would oppose a straight reauthorization of the Patriot Act, but it's not certain if they will get behind the USA Freedom Act. Cruz voted for earlier versions and Rand against, but that may change. If the bill does get through both chambers, President Obama would almost certainly be happy to sign off on it. The surveillance state exposed by Edward Snowden has been a millstone around Obama's popularity with the party faithful, and the chance to be seen doing something, anything, on the issue would be welcome. Congress is working on a tight deadline on this. Key sections of the Patriot Act, including Section 215, will sunset on June 1st, and that makes lawmakers nervous. If the famously fractious Congress can get moving, however, the bill could well make it onto the statute books. <sighs> mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say anymore. I, I do. I, I do, but it's not fit for, you know, I get your show censored. I don't think it's you. I think it's the news that gets my show censored. Or it's probably this fuck, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. This is ridiculous. Jan, and here's the screwed up shit. My show doesn't get censored. I know. I don't get explicit warnings. How the fuck do I not get explicit warnings, but you do? (laughs) It Um, it makes no sense. Especially, I mean, listen to the two damn... (laughs) Um, can you can you turn my volume down on your end at all? Yes. Thank you. Um, who censors it? SoundCloud's pulled a bunch of them down. Yeah. Yeah. How SoundCloud do I mean? Did. They've they've pulled them off the list. There are some that just no longer exist on the list. Kevin's had to go through and pull stuff out to get them put back up. So there's that. I bet it's your content, not the swears. It, it might be. It might be. See, so you do a show like Mind Jam with zero content, <laughs> and you cuss like a motherfucker, and everything is fine. Oh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Um, a computer algorithm can see when you're drunk. I'm so happy between this, and I posted something on my Facebook page, and the only person who reacted reacted exactly the way I thought they would. I posted something on my Facebook page it's, it's a video. It's about an hour long. I'll probably post it in the chat before I leave tonight. But it's a company that's selling their pre-crime package to all these police departments and showing you how it works. And it's pretty freaking awful. And uh, they're letting that loose where I live soon. So that should be fun. But this computer algorithm, Jan? Yeah. The cops would be pulling me over all the time. Mm. Okay. Because with the um, a couple of the meds for my RSD, mm-hmm. my body doesn't regulate temperature correctly. 
Um, well, and when it does try to do it, it does it very slowly. Uh-huh. So the minute I start to get warm, mm-hmm. my face is like lobster pot red. Um, I have I have a thyroid that doesn't function right. And, and I can tweak it and I can deal with it and I can, you know, supplement, take a lot of stuff. And, and eat, if I eat a lot of kale... That speeds my thyroid up, so it works really well. I, I actually really enjoy kale, as long as it's like not wet and in a salad. I love kale chips. Um, I like kale in smoothies, so you know I, I'm pretty happy with it in my. And you're diet. growing it, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good girl. Um. Yeah, I trust me. <laughs> Good girl, because I mean, it's it's one of the simplest things in the world to grow. It really is. It's. Yeah. But it's expensive as hell in the store. It is. It's it's and kale chips are yummy. By the way, yes, I agree with you on that. They're very good, and they pick kale is one of those rare vegetables that picks up the flavor of anything you mix it with. So if you throw it on with some berries, it tastes like berries, and it, it's pretty good. So I mean that's helpful. But um, my body doesn't regulate temperature right. When everybody else is dying of heat, I'm walking around. Oh, Everybody in my house right now is wearing shorts and tank tops and sweating. And I'm sitting here in pajama pants and slippers and a long sleeve t-shirt. So that's how good my body regulates temperature. This is why this stuff is scary. So this computer algorithm, do you know how it tells how you're drunk? Yeah, by the temperature, your forehead and your nose. I read this story. I know. (laughs) I only know because I read the story. I'm like, this is just really screwed up. It's only by the heat in your face. So I would register as never drunk, no matter how drunk I was. You would register as always drunk, yeah, no matter I would how be drunk, drunk you weren't. Yeah. 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 Oh, alcohol. It can be so much fun until it makes you do something stupid. But even without doing anything embarrassing, booze makes us blush. Now it turns out those rosy cheeks can be turned against you. Using infrared cameras, scientists have taught a computer algorithm to recognize drunk people by their facial flush. After a glass of wine or nice whiskey on the rocks, alcohol makes your blood vessels relax and widen. This expansion brings the blood vessels closer to your skin, making your face hot and red. This blush can deepen if you have a deficiency in the enzyme aldehyde, dihydrogenase, dehydrogenase. (laughs) which helps in the metabolism of alcohol. That's why people with Asian heritage tend to glow when they're drinking. To find out if they could train a computer to recognize drunk people, researchers in Greece got 41 study volunteers tipsy and snapped thermal images of the participants' faces before and after drinking four glasses of wine. Although different people reacted, reached different levels of intoxication from those four drinks, They all reached a blood alcohol content of at least 0.5. That's below the legal limit of 0.8. But driving with a blood alcohol content of 0.5 would make you 38% more likely to get in a car crash compared with someone who's completely sober. (sighs) Algorithms compared the flush on sober versus drunk faces one pixel at a time. Next, the researchers had artificial neural networks compare the sober versus drunken faces one pixel at a time. They found that the best indicator of a person's state of intoxication is the temperature of the forehead and nose. Using that information, they built an algorithm that could determine who was sober and who was drunk with 90% accuracy, even on the faces it hadn't been trained on, and even if it didn't know what that person looked like sober. 
The researchers suggest the computer program could help police pinpoint hooligans who might start trouble, or it could be installed in cars and heavy machinery to prevent drunk driving. Um, but, you know, this, this, um, what, what the hell, what's the word, Jan? What, what, what is this? Um, free crime? (laughs) Fishing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's fishing. Yeah, fishing. fishing. That's the word. It's fishing. So the cops can sit outside the bar and, you know, instead of using a speed laser to see if you're speeding they can just speed check your face as you walk out of the bar to know whether they should make up a reason to pull you over oh we saw you swerve you didn't see me swerve <laughs> i that just was turning a corner <laughs> yeah i know it's um See, not that not that I support drunk driving in any way, shape, or form. Well, I, I don't either. I but again, am completely again, against drunk driving. Um, I I am too. But again, it comes down to fuck their rights means fuck my rights means fuck your rights. Yeah. I mean, this is what it comes down to again. Um, you know, when they have the right to just randomly do that to you, where is your where is your liberty then? This is the reason that real cops, the kind you don't tend to hear about too much anymore, but the kind that I know exist. And that I honestly believe is the majority. mm, This is why policing is so hard. It's supposed to be hard. It's, it delves deep into your personal liberty. It violates every natural right you have and it violates all of your privacy and your digital liberty um this is why policing is supposed to be hard it's supposed to be difficult it's called building a case it's not called shooting fish in a barrel and tools like this are going to get rid of those good officers i find that a scary proposition okay um I don't know if anybody heard about this. Uh, the guy who went on, where'd he go? He went over to that horrible thing that Russ and Kevin like so much. That huh? stupid thing where you post and there's 800,000 posts. You only see a few because they're upvoted. Oh, that fucking Reddit. Reddit. So he goes I to Reddit. I don't do goes, Reddit. He posts this picture of this thing and goes, does anybody know what this is? Okay, this is about this guy. Okay. Um, A California man who famously found a GPS tracking device on his car installed without a warrant lost his bid Thursday to hold federal law enforcement officials to account. In a 27-page decision, U.S. District Judge Beryl A. Howell dismissed the claims of Yasser Afi, a U.S.-born citizen and Arab-American who discovered the tracking device by chance in October 2010. At the time, Afi was a college student. Howell threw out Afi's case for a variety of standing and immunity reasons, among others. The case began when Afi, living in Santa Clara, California, bought his car in for routine maintenance. The results of the maintenance were far from routine, however, Howell noted. 
during the owl the oil change, Affy discovered a wire sticking out between the right wear wheel of his automobile and exhaust. The wire was connected to a smaller black rectangular object that had an antenna. At first, Affy thought the object might be a pipe bomb. Later that day, he uploaded pictures of the object onto an internet site that was Reddit, I remember. Whereupon, a reader suggested that the object was a GPS tracking device. Three days later, Howell recounted multiple FBI agents visited the Affie's apartment complex to retrieve the GPS device. I, I don't know if you remember pictures of this thing. It was the most ghetto-looking thing I've ever seen. And I'm not making fun of ghetto stuff, but now we have so many craftsmen and artisans that make such beautiful mods that seeing this thing was just an affront to my sense of aesthetics. Um, So this is the kind of good work the government does. Um, Okay. Afi, represented by the Council on American-Islamic Relations, sued top Justice Department officials as well as individual FBI agents. He sought an injunction ordering the FBI to refrain from attaching a GPS device to his vehicle without a warrant, directing the FBI to abandon the policy of allowing the use of GPS tracking devices without a warrant, and ordering expungement of all records collected through use of GPS. Howell, however, stopped the suit in its tracks. The individual defendants are entitled to qualified immunity with respect to the alleged constitutional violations, and the official capacity defendants have not violated the strictures of the Privacy Act, Howell stated. So anyone can attach a GPS to your car and follow it anywhere, and your privacy is not being violated according to this judge. Please remember that, and please remember her name. Uh, in part, Howell reasoned, Affy had himself to blame for some of the harm caused by the discovery of the GPS devices as he, Howell noted, contacted local and national media to share his story. Uh, the plaintiff's potential employers only discovered that the plaintiff was the subject of an FBI investigation because of the plaintiff's own self-identification as the subject of an FBI investigation. Any injury to the plaintiff as a result of that was self-inflicted. Howell wrote. So he gets no damages, he has no rights, uh, and he has no privacy. So that is fucking fantastic because anything they do to a foreign national who is unpopular due to war, they're only waiting till they perfect it before they do that to us. Sorry, I had a rant. <clears throat> Jeannie, any thoughts about that? No. Okay. Um, I do, but Go ahead. Just get it out because... Go ahead. Why the fuck is Radio Shack... Why, <laughs> Why the hell is the FBI using ratty-ass shit from fucking Radio Shack to begin with if this was a sanctioned thing? I mean, you and I both know, Jan, that they have got equipment that this guy nor a mechanic would have ever found. So, was this some kind of backdoor unauthorized bunch of shit where somebody decided that this kid is hitting on my niece at college and I want to know what he's doing type deal or or did they say well you know what if we put this cheesy ass ratty shit on this guy's car they'll never think it was us but then they were dumb enough to turn around and send FBI agents to his house (laughs) to get it um, I don't. I don't know who was the bigger dumbass. I don't know. 
I don't know. But, I mean, you, you should have seen this thing. It was terrible. I mean, it, it was like... Do you remember the first box It had box to be pretty mods? fucking bad, Jan, if the guy thought it was a pipe bomb. Well, do you remember the first box mods, how bad they looked? Yes. Yeah, this made that look like fine craftsmanship. That shit was terrible. I remember seeing the pictures going, oh, this is a joke. Like, this is something his neighbor did to him for April Fool's. Or No, no. Three days later, it wasn't a joke. Now this when the is FBI like a college shows hazing up, stunt. You know, the, the thing I find the hardest to believe out of the whole thing, Jan, was that a college student actually took their car in for an oil change. Just saying. Well, you know, it's just pretty, pretty freaking terrible. Okay. Um, here's something to be proud of. Yeah, no, I, this guy should have been fucking fired. Uh, I believe... Uh, Jen Boston Vapors posted this on my page, or I posted this, and then she posted something else. It was pretty fucked up. I, I think I posted this, um, but I might not have. Uh, federal security officer leaves gun inside U.S. Capitol toilet. Another gun discovered by a child. A member of the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's security detail left his Glock and magazine stuffed in the toilet seat cover holder of a Capitol Visitor Center bathroom stall on January 29th. A worker there discovered the gun. Roll call reports on this and two other disturbing instances when the Capitol Police left loaded firearms in non-secure places. A seven- or eight-year-old child visiting the Capitol with his parents found the next loaded Glock lost by a dignitary protection officer, according to the source. A member of the security detail for John A. Boner. Yes, I called him Boner. He deserves that. Republican <laughs> Ohio allegedly left the firearm in the bathroom of the speaker's suite on March 24th. A third Glock was found the night of April 16th by a janitor cleaning the Capitol Police headquarters building on D Street Northeast. The weapon was left in plain sight, sparking additional concerns about the department charged with protecting one of the world's most important and frequently visited complexes. On Friday, CQ Roll Call spoke with members who called for a full investigation into firearms regulations. Oh. House Rules Chairman Pete Sessions, Republican of Texas, said he wanted Capitol Police to retrain everyone that carries a gun. Unlike a gun with a traditional safety, a Glock will fire if the trigger is pulled, making the young boy's alleged discovery of a gun in Boner's office particularly concerning. The gun lost by McConnell's detail was left in a CVC bathroom within the Senate office space portion of the complex, lowering the likelihood it would be found by a tourist or visitor. A report to the Capitol Police Board obtained Thursday by CQ Roll Call showed the Department's Office of Professional Responsibility recommended six days of suspension without pay for the officer involved in the January 29th incident. The later two are still under investigation, which consists of matching the serial number to the Department's inventory record and then interviewing the officer. <sighs> if, if they need retrain... Never mind. Go ahead. No. But get it out. They do need retrained. We, we need to ignorant. retrain them all. Well, if you d did not train them that <laughs> keeping possession of your firearm and the ammunition is very important, <laughs> then whoever wrote the training should be fucking jailed. 
Okay. I just cannot imagine, Jan, that their training does not indicate to them that the firearm and the ammunition for the firearm is fucking dangerous. <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? And this one I was actually really happy about. I, I follow a, a blog called uh, Overlawyered. Which is oh, just this one is of- a happy story. It is the happy story. Overlawyered is one of the things I do for fun. They write about ridiculous laws. Yes, everybody should take note, Jen. We have to repeat this. This is the happy story of the evening, so pay attention. This is, because the last time we talked about this, I busted. I was, like, inconsolable for hours after I read this, what they were going to do to this guy. A doctor with no office state says the state will let him practice. Ridgeland. An 88-year-old Mississippi physician who has faced scrutiny because he was practicing medicine from his car said Wednesday after a meeting with regulators that he now expects to be able to continue seeing patients. Dr. Fraser Ladrom talked to reporters after a meeting with the Mississippi State Board of Medical Licensure. He and his lawyer said that during the meeting, officers agreed Ladrom may continue seeing patients if he takes a refresher course in medical record-keeping. Residents of the small town of Edwards rallied to support Ladrum and are renovating space for him in a former post office. Ladrum said that the office is expected to be finished within a few weeks. There aren't words to express what and how much I appreciate everything that's been done for me and the people who supported me, Ladrum said. Dr. Van Craig, the board's executive director, confirms a meeting occurred on Wednesday but says he's not allowed to discuss ongoing inquiries. An unknown person complained to the board that Ladrum was practicing out of his car after giving up a previous office in an apartment complex. The physician and World War II veteran said he left because he felt threatened by drug dealing and violence there. Plans for a new office stalled, but patients kept calling. That's when I started seeing people out of my car, Ladrum said. Not because I planned it that way, but because people said, can you just see me? Ladrum said that an investigation with the board demanded that he turn over his medical license, but he refused. I was shocked and floored because I didn't expect anything like that, he said. He wasn't interested in retiring, and because of community support, his practice is now larger than it ever was before. He said he's always modeled his work on the physician who cared for his family when they were poor farmers. He was just as happy if we paid him as if we had paid him $10,000, Landrum said. That was just my attitude. Take care of them irrespective of how much they could pay. The physician attracted support not only from neighbors but from those far away. The Phoenix-based Goldwater Institute began providing him legal services, demanding that the state board provide records related to the investigation. One focus of the conservative-leaning organization is to sue governments to protect individual rights. We are very confident in the way this meeting went, said Christina Sanfer, a lawyer for the Institute. From what I can tell, the matter has been resolved. We've been able to talk everything out. Do you remember the story about this guy? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I do. There was no one to take care of these people for like hundreds of miles around. You know, and he didn't care if he got anything for it. He just took care of sick people who needed his help. And he did it because he wanted to. And he did it because no one else would. So the state was willing to let all these poor people go without any sort of medical help whatsoever. Because they they could qualify for Obamacare. No comment. Yeah, I know. Oh, and that was my happy story. And I was very happy about that. That made me really happy. But, uh, yeah, over-lawyered, if you like 
stories about government overreach. Some are entertaining. Some are just horrifying. That's a really good blog to read. Um, I don't think I want to read the one about the U.S. retailers now. That one's just going to bring me way down. Yeah, that's really depressing. Yeah, well, the list is what killed me. Well, here, you vape, and <laughs> and I'll just give a quick rundown of this story. Okay. So everybody says that the economy is getting better, right? Unemployment is down, right? Well, here, folks, let me tell you about just a few of the stores that are closing retail locations this year. Abercrombie & Finch, 180 stores. Or Apostle, 75 stores. American Eagle, 150 stores. Barnes & Noble, 223. Body Shop slash Body Central, 265. Bottom Dollar Food, 66 stores. Build-A-Bear, 25 locations. Take your kid to Build-A-Bear now before there isn't one. No, not really. Don't take your kid there. It's a waste of money. <laughs> Uh, see Wonder, 32 stores. Cash, 21 stores. Chico's, 120 stores. Children's Place, 200 stores they're closing between now and 2017. Christopher and Banks, 17. Coach, oh my God, Coach, for all you women that go out and buy <laughs> ignorantly expensive purses and wallets, do so now because they're going to close 70 of them. <laughs> Coco, 70 stores. Deb Shops, 300. Delilah's, 92. Dollar Tree slash Family Dollar, 340 locations. Einstein, I was surprised at that. Yeah, 340 locations. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of them. They're fucking everywhere. Um, Einstein Brothers, 39 stores. Express, 50 stores. Fredericks of Hollywood, 31 stores. Evidently, sexy underwear is going out of style. <laughs> Fresh and easy grocery stores. Um, I needed to make sure that grocery stores was um, stressed at the end of that because fresh and easy sounds like uh, hookers. But 50 <laughs> locations of those. 14 friendlies. Also sounds like hookers. Yeah. <laughs> Future Shop, which is the Best Buy of Canada. 65 locations. Golf Galaxy, 54 locations. Guess, and I mean guess as in the store, not guess as in guess who the fuck it is, is going to be closing 50 locations. Jimmerie, 26. JCPenney, 40. Jones New York Outlet, 127. I guess they should have kept them in New York. Just Baked, which sounds like a dispensary, is going to be closing 10 <laughs> locations. Kate Spade, Saturday, and Jack Spade, 28 locations. Macy's, 14 locations. So that means 14 gallery and malls will be folding up. <laughs> <laughs> Office Depot and Office Max will be closing 400 locations. Must be they didn't deliver your shit on time like they never do mine. Pet Boys, 63 locations. So many Mo and Jack said fix your own shit. Pier 1 your overpriced bamboo will be closing for will be closing 100 locations pick and save um is this like the walmart That's a southern gas station oh okay okay i i was just wondering if this was like people at walmart picking their butts but anyway 20 locations uh ruby tuesdays 13 locations 77 sears and roebuck locations you you skipped right i know i did i'm gonna do that one last Okay. Spartan Nash Grocery Stores, 10 locations. Staples is going to be closing 55 locations. So it must be like Office Max. They don't deliver your shit on time. 133 Target locations in Canada. Um, and that is due to bankruptcy. 
Tiger Direct will be closing 31 locations. I didn't realize that Tiger Direct even had stores. I always thought they were just www. Um, Walgreens, 200 locations by 2017. And West Marine is 10 locations. And then we have poor little old Radio Shack. Poor little old Radio Shack. 1,784 locations boarded up. Oh, I forgot. There was two on the other page, but I never heard of either one of them. But anyway, (laughs) um, if you've ever heard of Wet Seal... Um, which also sounds like a whorehouse. Uh, 338 locations will be closing. And uh, Wol- Wolverine Worldwide, which is shoes, it is not an animal store, <laughs> 80 locations. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. See, Jan, I tried to make it funny. You did, yeah. But um, that that tells you something. Um, y- if you hear the economy is getting better... You know, much like the cake, it's a lie. Yeah. Somebody lied. A lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did. Okay, so... Yeah. <laughs> here's here's a shock. So, there's 5,000 pages of Stingray info that Muckrock... And and Jeannie Finally. is broadcasting this show, so there is no stingray music. Um, no. If you're if you're missing that, it's Varys' fault. He's not here. I don't have it. Okay, so they get five thousand pages from the FBI, and they're all excited. They're going to write about it. They're freaking redacted. They could have just sent them five pages because that's about all they got. Mm. Muckrock has obtained a whole stack of Stingray-related documents from the FBI. As to be expected, there is not much left unsaid by the agency, which is at least as protective of its own Stingray secrecy as it is of that of law enforcement agencies all over the U.S. There is nearly 5,000 pages of material here, most of which contains only some intriguing words and phases, phrases surrounded by page after page of redactions. Want to know redacted thoughts on the possible legal implications of triggerfish? Just close your eyes and allow your imagination to run free. Here's a quick reference guide that allows FBI agents to quickly match up their chosen technique with the appropriate legal standards and process. If you close your eyes, that's what this page looks like. No, because these are just big white squares with a thin black outline. So if you see a white wall when you close your eyes, you got it. It's it's pretty pretty bad. Um, that's not to say there's nothing of interest left intact. A few pages explain the FBI's legal rationale for IMSI catcher deployment, including the fact that the Patriot Act expanded the reach of pen register orders to include not just numbers dialed, but also the location of the phone itself. This allows the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to route around one of Kayla's communications assistance for law enforcement acts. Few limitations related to pen register orders that service providers not be required to hand over subscriber location info. In passing Kalia in 1994, Congress required providers to isolate and provide the government certain information relating to telephone communications. At the same time that it created those obligations, it created an exemption. Carriers shall not provide law enforcement with any information that may disclose the physical location of the subscriber in response to a pen trap order. 
but its very terms, this prohibition applies only to information collected by a provider and not to information collected directly by law enforcement authorities. Thus, Kalia does not bar the use of pen trap orders to authorize the use of cell phone tracking devices used to locate or target cell phones, but for the most part, it's 5,000 pages of look at a blank wall. And there's a document called uh, Stingray for Dummies, and it's a big square that says step one, and it's blank. And step two says turn Stingray system on. There's a big blank square. And then there's step three, which is also a big blank square. It's not a complete loss, though, as it's clear the documents suffer from over-redaction. The FBI clearly does not want to discuss methods or technical details, but nothing in the multiple FOIA exemptions deployed justifies covering up its minimization procedures or where the device sits in terms of the Fourth Amendment. It does not seem credible to me that they can't release more of these types of records. ACLU attorney uh, Nadal Wessler told me information about, oh, lovely. (laughs) (sighs) Information. Oh, God. Right here. Information about ongoing investigations, highly technical details of devices, how they're put together, those kinds of things, redact them, fair enough. Information about whether they have to get a warrant or not, or how they purge or do not purge bystanders' data, they're clearly talking about these things. There's no conceivable reason why they shouldn't tell the public what their Fourth Amendment rights are protecting when they use these, he added. The documents are not without value, but what the FBI has released is not adequate. Nothing else. The documents have given a small, narrow glimpse behind the FBI's veil of secrecy, as well as more insight into its Stingray-related legal maneuvering. The FBI has managed to turn a pen register order, something previously used to collect dialed numbers, into something that can be deployed to locate an individual, or at least their cell phone. Unsurprisingly, this legal theory traces back to the Patriot Act, one of the largest expansions of intelligence and law enforcement powers ever produced by the U.S. government. No shock. Yeah. <sighs> it's the picture of these pages is it's so awful. I, I have no way to describe it. Well, if you know, they generally say that a page of text mm-hmm. has a 5% coverage with ink. I would say that these pages, just for any of you that need a mental image, these pages, instead of having the 5% coverage of ink that a normal page of text would have, these are probably at a 0.05% coverage. Well, That's yeah, how and, fucking blank they are. Okay, so... <sighs> total deleted pages... Let, let me pop this up in the chat so you can get a clue as to how much of this stuff is deleted. Okay, this is from Harris Corp and Boeing and their United States agreement. Um, it's pages and pages that list everything that's been redacted. And you can see when I tell you that there's big blank spaces... 
There are big blank spaces. Deleted. I'll find out if there's a specific case which requires appropriate advertisement or whether it was just a question intended for interesting conversation between an SA and a CDC. That will help determine the priority for this. Thanks. That's, that's an email. That's part of a fucking email. It's just, it's pretty ridiculous. And there's just thousands of pages of this shit. It's big blank pages. So if you were curious, it's pretty bad. Oh, hey, I found a page of text. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. They might have messed up. Holy crap. Uh, it's 6B7B7E. So, yeah, there's... Is that the oh. how to contact technical support page? No, 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 no. Um, something about HR quotations... Uh, the amended text of the Pen Trap Statute and the limited legislative history accompanying the 2001 amendment strongly suggests that non-content information that passes between a cellular phone and a prov- this is all about the pen traps, pen pen tap traps, and then everything else is pretty much redacted. So you got two pages of actual text and nothing, just a and and the. So that's what you get from your government when you ask them to help you investigate what they're doing because they don't want to. thought this was interesting. Uh, Are you going to read the story that really pissed me off? I don't know. Which one was it? You reading about the dog? Do you want to read it? Do I want to read about the dog? No, I don't want to read about the dog. Because this one just kind of pissed me off. <laughs> a lot. Well, it's stupid. I mean, do, do I... Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you really want me to not talk about this? No, you can, you can talk about this. I'm just telling you, this story just it pissed me off for all kinds of reasons. Well, I mean, the fine was retarded. Yeah, it is. The fine is fucking retarded. Do I understand that it, at the end there was probably a reason that they came up with this stupid shit? Yes, but this still yeah. these poor people. Yeah. Dog owners threatened with $750,000 fine over missing dog posters. A D.C. dog owner did what anyone with a missing pet would do. He posted flyers, but then said police threatened him with a $750,000 fine. Roger Horowitz was out Friday ripping down flyers. He posted about his missing dog, Ollie, not because the dog has been found, but because he's being he's afraid of being hit with a huge fine. Horowitz and his wife, Anna Marie, recently adopted Ollie, a rescue dog that had been shot in Georgia. He'd been abused by his previous owner and actually shot with a shotgun, Horowitz said. So he has about 23 pellets still in his back. On March 30th, Horowitz was walking Ollie near Georgia Avenue in Lucid Street, northwest, when the dog broke loose. A car just backfired, and he suddenly bolted and managed to get away with the leash, he said. He filed a missing dog report and said he was initially encouraged by police to post flyers. Volunteered help put out, volunteers helped put out thousands of them, but then a phone call changed everything. The couple said they got a call from a D.C. officer saying the signs had to come down or they'd face a hefty fine. So he told me that regardless of if we put up the flyers or if other people put them up, we'd made the original flyer that had my phone number and that we could get fined up to $750,000, Horowitz said. 
News 4 asked D.C. police about the sign, rules, and fines. Authorities said sent a list of regulations about posting flyers. The rules say that violations can result in a $300 fine. It's unclear if that's per sign. The Horowitz's say they'd like to see the law change to help people looking for missing pets and loved ones. It's this kind of big of n- unknown of what can we do next, said Anna Marie Horowitz. What should we do to find our dog? They hope their social media campaign, hashtag find Ollie, will help them do just that. And here are the regulations provided by the Metropolitan Police with the relevant sections in bold. Okay. I'm not going to read this whole thing because you'll want to shoot yourself if I do. No person shall affix a sign, advertisement, or poster to any public lamppost or appearances of a lamppost except as provided in accordance with this section. So you can't place it on a tree in a public space or place a poster or a play card um, anywhere if it's indecent or vulgar or if it represents the commission of or the attempt to commit a crime. Can't affix a sign or a poster about the sale of goods or services. Uh, you can't have it up for more than 180 days. Uh, you have to remove it no later than 30 days following it. Uh, each sign, advertisement, or poster shall contain the date upon which it was originally affixed to the lamp post. Uh, nice. So, And you have to affix it securely to avoid it being torn by normal weather conditions. Sign advertisements and posters shall not be affixed by adhesives that prevent their complete removal from the fixture or that do damage to the fixture. But they must be up there so that the weather can't damage them. No more than three versions or copies of each sign, advertisement, or poster shall be affixed on one side of a street within one block. For the purpose of the section, a public lamppost is any public post erected for the purpose of supporting electric wires. Any person violating any portion of this title for which a specific penalty is not provided shall, upon conviction, be punished by a fine of not more than $300. Those poor people. And evidently they were charging them, you know, like, per sign. But how many fucking signs did these volunteers put up that the the cops decided that this was going to be $750,000? I don't know. I mean, if even if it's a $300 a sign, Jan, holy yeah. shit, did these people think that was a little bit of overkill? <laughs> I guess not. Especially guess considering they're... most people walking down the fucking street aren't looking where they're going. They're looking at their phone. They probably could have so, put up tweets yeah i'm thinking the social media campaign will probably be more productive unfortunately um but yeah really the next time you're walking down the street look around see how many people are staring at their phone Mm. so yeah social media really is a more useful tool um because yeah everybody has to have their cell phone up their ass well yeah and they're not finding you for that yet oh my husband yells at me all the time because i you know don't have my cell phone in my back pocket all the time why would you i'm like i was at the house did you call the house phone mr works for the fucking telephone company no (laughs) i don't know um this was pretty bad who pays when the dea destroys your vehicle and kills your employees during a botched sting hint not the dea the dea likes to borrow stuff It's just not very good about returning barred items in the same shape it got them, like a woman's Facebook account or a businessman's semi-truck 
and his employee's life. Craig Patty runs a tiny trucking company in Texas. He has only two trucks in his fleet. One of them was being taken to Houston for repairs by his employee, Lawrence Chapa, or so he thought. In reality, Chapa was working with the DEA, which had paid him to load up Patty's truck with marijuana and haul it back to Houston so the DEA could bust prospective buyers. That's when everything went completely horribly wrong. As the truck entered northwest Houston under the watch of approximately two dozen law enforcement officers, several heavily armed Los Zetas, cartel-connected soldiers in sport utility vehicles converged on Patty's truck. In In the ensuing firefight, Patty's truck was wrecked and riddled with bullet holes, and a plainclothes Houston police officer shot and wounded a plainclothes Harris County Sheriff's Office deputy who was mistaken for a gangster. The truck's driver was killed, and four attackers were arrested and charged with capital murder. Until Patty received a call notifying him that his employee had been killed, he was completely unaware of the DEA's operations involving both his truck and his driver. Unbelievably, things got even worse for Patty after this discovery. Patty's truck was impounded by the DEA after it was released to him. It was out of service for several months as it underwent more than $100,000 worth of repairs. The DEA offered him no financial assistance for the truck it helped fill with bullet holes, nor did it offer to make up for the revenue Patty lost while his truck was out of commission. His insurance company likewise turned down his claim, citing the trucks used in a law enforcement operation. Nor did the DA offer to do something to repair his newly required reputation as a drug runner and or a DA informant, something that makes Patty's life a little bit more dangerous. Nor will it have to. A federal judge has dismissed Patty's lawsuit against the DEA, seeking up to $6.4 million in damages. A Houston-based federal judge ruled that the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration does not owe the owner of a small Texas trucking company anything, not even the cost of repairing bullet holes to a tractor-trailer truck that the agency used without his permission for a wild 2011 drug cartel sting that resulted in the execution-style murder of the truck's driver, who was secretly working as a government informant. The government argued that it is neither culpable for the damage nor any ob- nor under any obligation to inform the owner of any property that it wishes to use in its operations because clandestine. No statute regulation or policy specifically prescribed or prohibited the course of action Patty alleges the DEA agents followed. The DEA derives its authority from the Controlled Substances Act, 21 U.S.C., Section 801, its implementing regulations and various executive orders. In this case, Task Force Officer Villanosa submitted a similar declaration. He states the DA's decision to proceed with such an operation is entirely discretionary and not mandated by any statute, rule, or policy. Whether and how to conduct such an undercover investigation and operation is necessarily discretionary in nature. Villanosa did not try to give advance notice to Patty that the task force would be using his truck because of the operation's covert nature, the risks of injury, and potential for damage if something went wrong, and the uncertainty about whether other individuals, including Patty, could be trusted. Patty responded that Villanosa's own testimony ran contrary to his declaration's assertions. Patty argues that the DEA policy prohibited Villanosa's actions. He points to Villanosa's deposition testimony that if we're going to use somebody else's vehicle 
we have to have permission and that if Villanosa knew who the owner and the owner was and the informant would have said to him, hey, listen, so-and-so, the owner owns this truck and I'm going to do this, he would say, well, we need to get a hold of the owner. The judge point out, points out that Villanosa also testified that he was not aware of any policy instructing him to notify the vehicle's owner of its potential use in a drug sting operation, nor was he under any obligation to even determine the identity of the owner through DMV records. No permission was needed, at least not as stipulated by DEA policy. What Villanosa spoke of in his testimony was something left entirely to his direct discretion. So it would appear that the government, especially law enforcement agencies, can take stuff but are under no legal obligation to return it in working order, nor are they expected to compensate the owner for any damage sustained. This argument, perhaps most solid of the multiple presented, dead ends thusly. In any event, Patty fails to explain how these constitutional provisions specifically prescribed a different course of conduct or specifically prescribed what officers did. The record showed that the DA task force members did not know Patty's name or under the impression that the driver was the vehicle's rightful leasee and third parties caused the vehicle's damage. To borrow praise from a qualified immunity law, Patty has not shown that the clearly established law in place when the undercover operation was planned and implemented made the officer's conduct unconstitutional. In the end, it's the crime-fighting ends that justify the means, even if the means include destroying half a businessman's fleet of vehicles and turning him into a potential drug cartel target, orchestrating a covert controlled drug delivery using a vehicle and driver unconnected to any law enforcement organization to obtain evidence against a suspected drug cartel smuggling operation to prosecute those responsible, fits within and furthers these policy goals. It's deciding to carry out the operation without giving the vehicle owner advance notice and obtaining his consent is consistent with... Oh, my God. <laughs> mitigate, mitig, mitigating the covert nature of the operation and, therefore, with policy goals. So to sum it up, when the DEA shows up and says, Hey, you, we would like you to help us with the undercover sting operation. If you say yes, you're a crackhead. <laughs> this is so horrible. Jen, they... but Jen, I, you know, <laughs> if, if the DEA walked up to you tomorrow, Jan, and yeah. said, we think somebody is making drug deals in the store where you work. We would like you to wear a wire for us. No. Would you no. go to work the next day or would you call in dead? I don't think I'd go back. I think I'd just retire. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm good. Um, I think... Apparently I mean, we're talking this, the, the DEA. We're not talking about the local police. We're talking about the DEA. Generally, yeah. if the DEA is doing something, it involves big fish. And if you're talking about drugs, these are big fish with lots of weapons and no compunction at all about killing you. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm good too. Really good. Um, just don't need it ever. This sounds like that movie that the that the Rock was in. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking? Um, Dwayne Johnson did a movie where his kid was arrested for drugs, and to keep the kid out of jail, they got the dad to go undercover for him and all of this shit. Yeah, this sounds like that. And 
and that was a fictional movie. Um, so I don't know what this, and I feel bad that the guy is dead now, but what the fuck was he thinking? I, you know, I don't know. I assume when the DEA goes to someone and asks them, Hey, would you like to do something that they have something on them? You know, that they have leverage on you. Yeah, and the only person I really feel bad for here is the guy that owned the truck. Because, I mean, if he honestly didn't know that his dumbass employee was loading his truck full of dope, um, you know, I'm awful sorry, dude. <laughs> well, you know, I don't even know what to say. Um, so, this is good. This will probably get pulled down. So, if you're listening now. This will probably be a story Kevin has to pull out of the podcast. Uh, Snoop Snitch, an app that detects government stingray mobile trackers. Last week, we reported on the Overwatch service that pinpoints every fake cell tower and spying and tracking your smartphones. Now we present an Android app known as Snoop Snitch that can track stingray, the favorite smartphone tracking gear of the FBI and the NSA. So, um, yeah, when I tell you this will probably get pulled down, I, I kind of imagine that. Uh, stingrays or IMSI catchers are surveillance tools that are being widely used by the government. These tools pretend as cell phone towers and can trick the nearby phones to connect to it. This is how private data gets leaked and acquired by surveillance agencies. Usually these tools are used by law enforcement agents, but the widespread and somewhat unprecedented use of stingrays has prompted discomfort and doubts among citizens. Thankfully, now there is a mechanism for tracking and detecting stingrays, and it's called Snoop Snitch. Now, I don't know that you want to actually go to the Google Play Store and look at this, but thought it was interesting what is snoop snitch it is an android app that captures that captures and examines the mobile radio data to inform you about the security of your mobile network and also to warn you about numerous threats like that of imsi catchers location tracking of users and over-the-air updates android users can download snoop snitch from google play with this app, you can utilize the collected data in the GSM security map that is available at gsmmap.org and provide your own data to the GSM MAP. This app looks for radio signals that show a transformation from an authentic tower to a stingray. Um, Snoop Snitch has been developed by German security researchers trio, namely Alex Heinzer, Karsten Knoll and Tobias Engel from SR Labs. It was officially launched on Android. According to the group, Snoop Snitch collects and analyzes mobile radio data to make you aware of your mobile network security and warn you about threats like fake base stations, user tracking, and over-the-air updates. Currently, Snoop Snitch is compatible only with Android phones that are equipped with a Qualcomm chipset and a stock Android ROM or any appropriate custom ROM having Qualcomm DIAG drivers. Root privileges will be needed to collect mobile network data. Although this app cannot protect your mobile phone from getting linked with Stingrays, it can at least inform and alert you about the presence of a surveillance system in a particular area. 
According to Noel, while talking to Motherboard, Snoop Snitch is a catcher-catcher, and there's no one set of information taken by itself that allows you to detect an IMSI catcher. But they stream analysis of everything that happens on your phone, and it comes across with warning if it crosses a certain threshold. So I just thought that was really interesting. I thought we should talk about it. You wonder if the alarm is the Stingray theme. You could only no, wish. No, it's the fire siren here in town going <laughs> off. Sorry about that. I can't. <sighs> and, you know, I live a mile and a half away from it. You know, um, I feel weird talking about this because I'm not a fan. But do you remember well, you weren't here last week, but we were talking about politics me and Vary, and I was just saying how wary I was of it and how pissed I was that so many people were going to vote for Hillary Clinton because she was a woman and it was time. And I was like, well, okay, so then your next move is to find an evil gay person and put them in office and vote for them because it's time. You know, let's not <laughs> vote for the person most qualified for the job and, and let's not get anybody in there who's got like a heart or a soul or at least tells the same story and is consistent over and over and over. Well, so I remember last week saying to Barry, I wish Bernie Sanders were running for president. I'm not a fan of socialism at all. I don't really like some of the things that it does, but I at least believe Bernie Sanders has people's best interests at heart, at least more than Hillary Clinton. If you... Look at who donates to who side by side. Her next to Bernie Sanders. You can kind of see that he gets donations from people and she gets donations from big banks and Wall Street. And who do you really trust to look after your best interests? So. There you go, Jen. Yeah. So I, I got what I wished for, I guess, kind of. So I'm going to read this now. Bernie Sanders calls for political revolution against the billionaire class. Self-described socialist and 2016 presidential candidate takes aim at the influence of big money and criticizes Clinton Foundation, Koch Brothers, and others. Heralding what he called the most unusual political career in the U.S. Senate, the 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders Sunday called for a political revolution against the billionaire class. He then seemed to include the overwhelmingly favorite for the Democratic nomination, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, in that billionaire class. Appearing on ABC at the end of a week in which he declared a run for the Democratic nomination, well to the left of Clinton, the independent senator from Vermont said on his first day as a candidate that he had attracted 100,000 supporters and raised $1.5 million at an average donation of $43. The self-described socialist aimed his fiercest fire at the influence of much bigger money. For the last 30 years, I have been standing up for the working families of this country, he said, and I think I'm the only candidate who's prepared to take on the billionaire class, which now controls our economy and increasingly controls the political life of this country. We need a political revolution in this country involving millions of people who are prepared to stand up and say enough is enough, and I want to lead that. 
asked by host George Stephanopoulos to comment on continuing controversy over foreign donations to the Clinton Foundation and their alleged influence over decisions made by the former Secretary of State while in office. Sanders said, it's not just the Clinton Foundation. Here are my concerns, and it should be the concern of every American. Can someone who is not a billionaire who stands for working families, actually win an election into which billionaires are pouring millions of dollars. Naming prominent and controversial right-wing donors, he said, it is not just Hillary, it is the Koch brothers, it is Sheldon Adelson. Stephanopoulos seized the moment asking, are you lumping her in with them? Choosing to refer to the 2010 Supreme Court decision that removed limits on corporate political donations rather than addressing the question directly, Sanders replied, What I am saying is that I get very frightened about the future of American democracy when this becomes a battle between billionaires. I believe in one person, one vote. I believe we need a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. Sanders also outlined some policy positions, saying that if successful, he would make the wealthiest corporations pay a fair share of taxes. He also said he would tackle climate change and oppose international trade agreements. Well, I, I'm okay with the international trade agreements. Asked if it was possible that someone who calls himself a socialist could win election to the White House, he said, of course, if we know what democratic socialism is. Well, Jeannie... Tell me about Germany and the Democratic Socialist Party. <laughs> Why? Be Why? Because my grandparents came here from Germany in the early 30s? Because they escaped from that. Okay. Um, okay. Um, he added, if we know that in countries like Scandinavia, Denmark, Norway, Sweden... They are very, very democratic countries. The voter turnout is a lot higher than in the United States. And in those countries, health care is a right. College education and graduate school is free. Retirement benefits and child care benefits are stronger. And in those countries, government works for ordinary people and the middle class rather than, as is the case right now in our country, for the billionaires. I can see Republicans attack ad right now, Stephanopoulos said. He wants America to look more like Scandinavia. That's right, said Sanders. That's right. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong when they have more income and wealth equality? What's wrong when they have a stronger middle class in many ways than we do, a higher minimum wage than we do? They're stronger on the environment than we are. The fact of the matter is that we do a lot in our country that is good, but we can learn from other countries. Asked if he might weaken Clinton who leads polls regarding potential Democratic candidates in 2016 by 50% or more by competing against her, thus damaging her chances of maintaining Democratic control of the presidency, Sanders said. Few would argue that mine is the most unusual political career in the United States Senate. Nobody thought I would be elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Very few people thought I would beat an incumbent Republican to become a United States congressman for Vermont by 16 points. And people weren't so sure I could beat the richest person in Vermont to become a United States senator. So I would say don't underestimate me. So, yeah. Um, everybody deserves equal time in politics. There you go, Bernie Sanders. You got yours on my show. It's not that I don't like the man. I think he honestly 
I think he and Ron Paul were like the last two of their kind. They campaigned on what they believed in and they stood up for that the entire time. I don't think there will be politicians like that anymore. I think they're the last of a dying breed. And I think, although I like the idea of Bernie Sanders running against Hillary Clinton, I don't know if anyone can take her down. That's terrifying. Yeah. Well, you know, were you here? Well, I, maybe it was last week when I talked about those voting machines. I think you were gone, but so it must have just been me and Barry. There are these voting machines that they actually had to put out of commission because it was taking and flipping votes. That wasn't just that. You could go out into the parking lot with your fucking phone and hack these damn things. Oh, no, I was here when you did that. That was yeah. a couple of weeks ago. So uh, there's a school of thought that you will never be given anything that the really rich don't want you to have as a choice. Which is why a week ago I said I, I really wish Bernie Sanders would run against Hillary Clinton. Only to like take and eat away at some of her votes. You know, I think he comes from a more genuine place. I, do I want him to be my president? Uh, fuck no. But I don't always get what I want. So um, I would like to see somebody that could knock Hillary off. Out of the running. Because I don't think... I have problems with some of the things she did in Arkansas. I have problems with the fact that she cut a man off as a lawyer of raping a 12-year-old girl and laughed about it. I have problems. Those recordings are still floating around and people are still saying that it's time for a woman to get elected. Well, she obviously doesn't like women. I, I have a major problem over Benghazi. With me, it's not so much that. And Let's not even look at Benghazi. I think I think you have to think really hard and look at Libya. Let's let's take let's take Benghazi completely off the table and let's look at Libya. Libya was all her. Libya was all her and the right wing right wing warmongers. This woman is supposed to be a democrat. That's not what a Democrat is supposed to stand for. I know I was one. I know what I stood for. I know I'm not anymore because no political party stands for what I stand for. And politics is largely a waste of time for me. But I know what a Democrat is supposed to stand for, for civil liberties, for anti-war, for taking care of each other. And Libya was not what it is now until she made decisions on that. And now look at that place. She did that. That was her. All of that was her. I mean, and that's just one example of the things she did as Secretary of State. And I'm not saying let's not talk about Benghazi, but I'm saying there's other things she did that were just as egregious, just as terrible, and cost just as many lives. And she needs to be held accountable for that shit. She doesn't need to get put up on a pedestal and elected. She's tainted meat. 
what do you do with tainted meat? You throw it out in the garbage. You don't run it for fucking president. Okay, I think I feel better. Okay. <clears throat> so the last story I had, which is scary because we're already on the last story, um, is about the United Nations. UN proves major threat to press freedom. Sunday marks World Press Freedom Day. The United ha. Nations cele- hmm? ha. <laughs> the United Nations celebration of the media's vital role in an open society and an attempt to promote a free press in countries where that right is not yet appropriately valued. Few rights are more important than the freedom of the press, but few organizations are more poorly suited to promote that right than the United Nations. While a core function of the UN is to promote and protect press freedom worldwide, the United Nations is one of the most serious threats to a free press in the world today. Oh yeah, Kevin's probably going to have to censor this whole show. The organization blacklists journalists, bans reporters from its events, and tries to silence the media, all while urging countries throughout the world to embrace freedom of the press. Simply put, the UN is a despicably hypocritical on the issue of press freedom. I know I've seen the UN's attacks on media firsthand. I joined dozens of other members of the media from around the globe in Moscow last October to cover a tobacco control meeting held by the UN's public health arm, the World Health Organization. Journalists were told the conference would be open to the media as it should have been since the body was discussing matters of public health, international business regulations, and global tax law at great expense to the global taxpayers who helped fund the event. Moments before discussions concerning a controversially proposed international tobacco tax began, however, journalists, including me, were threatened and physically removed from a meeting room so that we could not report on the proceedings. The next day, the World Health Organization banned journalists from the conference completely. Discussions proceeded in secret, behind closed doors, with no oversight and no accountability. Chillingly, this type of assault on the freedom of the press is nothing new for the United Nations. In September 2014, UN Peacekeeping Chief Havern... God damn it, Barry, where are you? Ladosius prevented reporters from filming a public question and answer session in the Sudan by obstructing cameras with file folders. When that proved ineffective, he canceled the briefing altogether. UN officials later attempted to coerce a number of websites to remove videos taken at that aborted, aborted conference. A few weeks later, during the height of the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, the UN was caught blacklisting a BuzzFeed reporter who criticized the World Health Organization's response to the crisis. The UN blocked the journalists from receiving email updates about the World Health Organization's Ebola efforts and refused to respond to questions and interview requests. The irony that one of the greatest menaces to freedom of the press holds the World Press Freedom Day did not go unnoticed by leaders of a number of government watchdog groups, taxpayer organizations, and freedom-oriented think tanks. More than 35 organizations representing 17 countries from six continents joined to sign an open letter condemning the UN for denying freedom of the press. 
The letter demands that the U.N. explain why it fails to uphold the same standards of press freedom that it expects from its member nations and calls on governments to end funding to the United Nations as long as the organization operates behind closed doors, absent openness and transparency. It is exciting that the watchdog organizations organizations and outside groups are beginning to discover what many members of the media have known for years. The U.N. is a fraud of the highest order when it comes to freedom of the press, and it ain't just freedom of the press, pal. The U.N. should be the greatest global advocate for the freedom of the press. Instead, the organization is one of the world's most serious threats to press freedom. If the United Nations wants to prove it is serious about protecting press freedom, it should start by taking a look in the mirror and ending its shameful attempts to silence journalists. I really don't fucking like those assholes. It's not just the tobacco thing. <sighs> I... <laughs> you? Go the, ahead. The, the who is, you know... <sighs> you know, I sound like Karen... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's Karen. It's hard to um, talk about this. Well, you know, I believe that there should be truth in journalism. I believe that the it should be illegal for federal agencies to lie through their fucking teeth. And no. I think the same should apply to world organizations as well. Um the who has never been about safety and welfare any more than the CDC has or the FDA, you know, most of these organizations. Now the CDC may have originally started, um, they're all unconstitutional under the guise of doing a good thing. Um, the FDA, you know, Jan, you were the Catch one up. to clue me in that the FDA was started so that the rich guy could protect his rich buddy's fucking ketchup. Ketchup. Um, so, yeah. Well, the problem with the UN is it's something called an NGO, which is a non-governmental organization, right? So it's not really governed by yeah, any but they force. heavy hand every other government in all the actual governments and they do them what the fuck they want well um yeah, i'm gonna have to get you judge andrew napolitano's book to get you the ketchup story <laughs> jen so give me a little bit and i'll i'll find you a copy i'll get you the page oh shit um the new york city police officer that was shot died Yes, CASA is an NGO, but we're, none of us are making, let me put it to you this way, there's not one of us making money off this. When you put your money. Well, that depends. You, if you listen you to an asshole blogger, everybody's making money. Well, Fucker. when you get your money from an NGO, corruption runs rife. Um, I talk about a lot of things that are, are socialist in nature although i don't believe in socialism per se um i i do i mean i think that's like i think that's what happens at some point when we evolve we're just nowhere near evolved enough to where material shit doesn't mean anything to us and just other people matter more 
but I don't think it's something you can force on people and it's not something, it's something that has to organically happen. Um, I don't think a government should enforce that. But um, if you want to read something terrifying about the UN, I'm going to recommend a book called The Fearful Master, which is really terrifying. And you, you should be able to find that free anywhere online. Um, the scary thing about the World Health Organization is governments can't really afford to fund them, right? They increase tobacco tax and the UN's like, oh, this is good because the World Health Organization's going to get a cut. And then people go and buy underground tobacco and what have you. Um, completely avoiding the taxation scheme so nobody really gets any money. And, you know, everybody's overdue on money they owe the World Health Organization. It, it's really... I have a really hard time explaining how fucked up that organization is. I've done it. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do another show about how corrupt they are. But I will tell you this. It seems to me that an organization that was started to protect the health of the vulnerable would leave the first world the fuck alone. There's a lot more vulnerable people in the third world. A lot more of them. Those are the people that need taken care of. I don't think we need the World Health Organization condemning e-cigarettes, condemning nicotine, flipping out about saying one drink a day is going to cause liver cancer. That was their last claim. Jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and saying that swimming is one of the major public health dangers in the world today. And that their next mission is to eradicate drowning. These are problems but I don't think the World Health Organization is the right agency to deal with them uh, I kind of like um, Medicine Sans Frontiers Doctors Without Borders I think they're doing a good job for an NGO I think they're doing a fantastic job actually taking care of the people who need help so I don't think the UN has done Anything it said it was going to do, I don't think it will ever do anything it says it's going to do. And I think people like my grandfather and my dad were absolutely right. Whatever you think they are, they aren't. And that goes for politicians or anybody who wants to control any aspect of your life. I think I'm done ranting. Um, before you go for the evening, thank you for the article um, about how much money those people figured their little urban garden was worth. Mm. Um, and I thought you would like that. Yeah, well, I do have to say that these people should go hydroponic because they would get ten times the amount of yield that they got. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, to say that I save $1,000 a year is is almost laughable. I would promise you that... I save five times that, at least. Yeah. Um, it's speaking of which, I have. What do we have now? I have, a hundred and thirty plants started. Wow. Downstairs, just waiting to, go outside in systems. Um, and mm -hmm. that's what I did over the weekend was get the deep water culture system ready to go. Um, right. And get the area where we're going to put uh, the old system and the new system set up. So yeah, um, 
And of course, I got my rhubarb and my kale and my spinach and stuff. You know, the stuff that's going in the dirt, ready yeah. to go. Um, so yeah, thank you for the gardening article. And anybody that thinks that no matter where they live, that they can't grow some of their food, um, you can. You can. You Even can in the in... smallest amount of space. I sent Jay the vaping guy a link off of YouTube. Because he was talking about, you know, they live in an apartment, you know, and they don't really have a yard. And so I sent him the links on the window gardens. Um, they have hydroponic window gardens that you can DIY that are absolutely amazing. So. Um, and <laughs> Michael Morris just commented in chat about my electric bill. Um, I have to tell you that um, my grow light when I'm running them in the winter, um, my grow light adds $28 a month to my electric bill. And if I were to buy all of the vegetables that we use in this house in a week, um, it's over a hundred dollars a week. So yeah. You way more than break even. Um, but that, that was Australian dollars actually. Everything's more expensive over there. So I was surprised they didn't save that much, but everything costs them more. Um, because of the water and and the way everything is over there, um, everything's kind of screwed up everywhere. Mm-hmm. But Jeannie's absolutely right, and we've talked about money more than once. And money is—it's definitely not what you think it is anymore. It really isn't. Um, and one of the ways you can take control of things. The things that affect you the most are to plant yourself a little garden and grow some of your own food. Depend as little You can on live without anything. money. You can't live without food. Mm-hmm. Depend on you more than you depend on the grocery store. You'll save a lot of money. You'll feel better about yourself. And in a way, that's kind of what anarchy looks like. Anarchy is not what you think. I told you I was at the wit's end for politics. I really did mean it. Um, And I'm starting to think there is a third way. You just have to stop participating in the game. Advert? Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. Night, guys. <laughs>